You're listening to the Full Circle Music Show, the why of the music biz. Hey everybody, welcome back to the Full Circle Music Show, where Seth and I interview the best and the brightest in the music biz. Today we have entertainment lawyer Jason Turner on the line with us, and we're really excited to talk to him because we, we've discussed a lot with mix engineers and producers and songwriters, but we really get into a lot of detail about what happens from a music business perspective, uh, specifically uh, music law. He represents a who's who in the music business, from One Republic to the Backstreet Boys. He's worked with uh, NBC's The Voice, uh, as well as sporting teams and all, all sorts of things. So the guy knows what he's talking about and goes into a lot of detail about how you as an artist need to look at entertainment law. And and also, if you're looking to go into entertainment law, uh, what kind of certifications or specifications you will need uh, to go to the next level and to gain that experience to break into the music biz. Really actionable content, a lot of good stories and experience that he shares here in the episode. So I'm looking forward to you hearing it and let us know what you think as well. So without further ado, Jason Turner on the Full Circle Music Show. Hey podcast listeners, something's coming February 1st, 2016. Have you ever thought about a career in songwriting or music production? We have created a couple courses with you guys in mind. We've been getting a lot of feedback on people wanting to know more of how to become a songwriter, how to become a professional music producer or engineer. These courses were designed to answer some of those questions. Go to fullcirclemusic.org slash podcast and sign up there for more information. So we got Jason Turner here with us in the house today. Thanks for joining us. Thanks for being with us. And um, we were just talking about, for those of you guys who don't know, Jason Turner is a rock star uh, entertainment attorney and... uh, why don't you just tell us a little bit of your story? I mean, maybe include some of the highlights of your career and just you know, some of the clients maybe you work with that if you don't have to change any names for a little bit. <laughs> uh, sure. Uh, and thanks for having me. Yeah. Um, and I guess maybe I can start a little bit about how I got to where I am. That's um, perfect. Because I think my background is a little bit unique um, in that I don't come from a family of lawyers or, or family of people in the entertainment industry, um, though some may think they're entertainers otherwise. but um, <laughs> So you didn't have parents breathing down your neck either? You're going to be a lawyer or a doctor? No, not at all. Uh, um, I actually was signed up to go to flight school out in Arizona when Ooh. I was in high school. Um, I wanted to be a pilot. Wow. And uh, the summer before my senior year of high school, one of my favorite country groups at the time who was on A&M Records just so happened to be coming through my very small town of 2,000 people for a, um, the summer festival thing. And I happened to meet the guys. I kind of weaseled my way in uh, with the fair promoters so I could you know, do work that day and, oh, and cool. meet the guys. And that was the first time I had even known that there was anything called the music business. Hmm. Um, I, it never even hit me at that point. And I had played, uh, I grew up playing piano, so you know, music was in my life since... I could walk, essentially. Um, but through that, at the time, um, they were man- the group was managed by Reba's husband, uh, Narvel Blackstock. And so through that, I started researching a little bit. Ironically, the week after I met them, I was out at 
the flight school for a camp that was, you know, essentially like a preview for their college. So I had a great experience at that. But while I was out there the entire week, all I could think about was getting back home because I wanted to learn more about, okay, how do I keep doing this? Oh, wow. I thought the glamour job at that point was being a tour manager, which I now realize is a very important role. But um, back then I was like, I want to go be a tour manager. So I ended up going out. Um, I kept in touch with that band and uh, went out with them a few more times that summer and then uh, found out that Belmont University existed. So um, knowing I was already signed up to go to flight school, we decided to go ahead and come to Nashville, check it out, checked MTSU out. And at that point, I kind of decided this is absolutely what I need to do. Wow. Um, Fast forward, I ended up uh, working for Warner Brothers Records in Nashville while I was in college and ended up taking over their um, secondary radio promotion. Um, I happened to go in at the time when secondary meant a lot more, unfortunately, than it does today. And they didn't have anybody doing that uh, radio promotion. No listener left behind. What's exactly. secondary radio promotion? Explain that. Sorry. Uh, secondary <laughs> would be if, if, if a, uh, a major market is uh, Chicago, uh, secondary would be, say, Rockford, which is 100 miles west of Chicago. So it's the secondary markets are those markets, the smaller markets that surround the major cities. I see. Um, and, you know they still mean a lot to record labels and artists today because in every secondary market, guess what? There's a Walmart, um, as they used to say. Now, you know, it's it's all the more important because you don't even need Walmart anymore. Yeah. All you need is a computer. Um, but especially in country music, secondary markets have always meant a lot more because country radio is um, much more focused on the, the rural communities as a general uh, sort of thing. It sounds like you, and even so with you, with that concert that happened in your small town, it right. probably would not have happened without the... Exactly. I would have had no clue who that group was had it not been for that radio station in my small market area. Sure. So uh, I had a blast doing that, um, worked on the very first uh, Faith Hill and Tim McGraw tour. Uh, that was in 1999. Uh, I was kind of known as the kid at Warner Brothers, um, which was good and bad. I, I probably looked like I was 10 at the time. Um, I only look 13 now. <laughs> exactly. I was going to say, the, the, the age has, has progressed a couple years since then. <laughs> um, but ultimately, I, Warner was also a great experience because I uh, lived through um, the AOL-Time Warner merger. Um, and again, around 2000 or so is when that happened. And, and the, the result of that in Nashville, at least, was a lot of people who had been with the company for a very long time, uh, in a kind way, I can say, took early retirement. Mm. Um, and so there were a lot of changes. And I ended up leaving and realized I didn't want to work as hard as I had worked. Um, and, and by hard, I mean with the passion that I had only to potentially have somebody 2,000 miles away decide one day that my services were no longer needed. Um, And that's kind of when the light bulb went off in my head of what can I do uh, to have a little more control over my life and in a professional sense, but still be involved in the music industry because I I absolutely loved it and I knew that's where I wanted to be. And so I, I started thinking about, you know, 
how can I do that? And um, it, it came to me that every time I was with one of my artists at Warner Brothers, they were always, uh, I hate to use the word complaining, but they were complaining that, you know, uh, one instance was, man, I've been signed to the label for eight years and I still don't have a record out. Hmm. Or, man, I've got, uh, you know, this manager who I just can't stand, but I've got three more years in my deal. You know, I'm stuck and they're not doing anything for me. And that's kind of where the realization went off of, well, wait a minute, you know, maybe I can be that guy to help prevent things like that from happening. Um, and, and I honestly don't know where it came from. Uh, maybe a little divine intervention of, Hey, Jason, go to law school, um, be a lawyer. And, uh, so did the law school thing, came back. Um, I practiced a little bit in Orlando and Tampa, came back to Nashville and, uh, Five years ago, uh, this June, uh, our entertainment group started our own uh, law firm, wow. and uh, it's it's been great. I, I absolutely love what I do. Every day is different. So you said when you came to Nashville, you were actually going to school. Did you which did you decide on Belmont or MTSU? Um, I went to Belmont um, thanks to my dad, I think in part because uh, at the time, though I think this has changed today. Um, at the time, Belmont was the only one of the two schools that offered a business degree. Okay. And my dad, being a very wise businessman, said, if we're going to spend this kind of money to send you to school, you're going to have a business degree. Um, and my understanding is MTSU has kind of altered their program um, to look a lot more like Belmont. Gotcha. Yeah. So went to Belmont with... Uh emphasis on business so you could eventually pay your dad back right right <laughs> well as, as i always say uh you know their payback's going to come when uh, the nursing home time comes I'll, I'll i'll put them in a little bit nicer one than sure. uh, otherwise sure um as i always like to say to my mom shady pines <laughs> <laughs> i'll get the penthouse suite yeah <laughs> really it sounds like from your from your background that to decide to come to nashville to pursue this was a passion absolutely uh, but when you started being around those artists and hearing the issues that they were having from a legal perspective, that's that's a big step to decide to go back and get a to go back to school for what two, three, four three, years, three years, yeah, to to get that. That's uh, that that seems from a passion standpoint, that's one thing. But how selfless of you to go back and and dedicate three years to educating yourself so you could help other people? Yeah, and and, and it, you know, I hate to say. I hate to talk about it only because it makes me sound a little bit cheesy, but it, it, it really is true. Um, one of the greatest rewards that I get is helping my clients. Mm. Um, you know, everybody has issues. Um, and if I can take the problems of, of my artists or producers or, you know, whoever my clients are, if I can take their problems away from them and say, go do what you're good at doing and I'll take care of this, and don't worry about it until I call you again. That's what I love doing. Wow. Um, because, yeah. you know, I'd like to think that's what I'm good at. So if that's what I'm good at, let me do that. You go do what you're good at and go create some stuff. Because I, I do believe music's an important thing in, in everybody's lives. And everybody that I represent has something to do in that creative element of creating music. Oh, that's great. Yeah. No, I mean, I... In my short time of knowing you, I get the sense that um, it's it's almost like you 
have a, a holistic uh, view. I think a lot of entertainment attorneys can kind of get hung up on, um, well, this deal's not good, don't sign it. But it seems like you kind of generally take a long-term approach with artists' careers and producers' careers and uh, songwriters' careers. And it seems like by your track record, that's panned out pretty well. Some some examples of that being you know ryan tedder and backstreet boys and you were with ryan from the beginning right yeah my uh my law partner was with ryan back when ryan was an intern at dreamworks wow. um hmm. and so you know that's a relationship and and not just speaking for myself but our firm as a whole um we do try very hard to not look at any of our clients as just a file on the desk or just doing a one-off deal and then being out of each other's lives. Um, I personally believe the more we can be involved um, with the entire career, both personally and professionally, the better off it's going to be for that client. Um, you know, if we have an artist who also is a songwriter but also wants to be a producer, that's all stuff that we need to know on the yeah. front end, especially these days with his overreaching as some deals can get. Um, So, you know, I always tell my clients, hey, I want to know anything and everything I can about what you're doing to the extent you want me to know that. And just know that the more I know, the more I'm going to be able to help you. Um, And and I think that has been uh, proven in the fact that the extreme majority of the clients we have, we've been with for a very long time. Um, It's very, very, very rare that I have a client where it's just a one-off, you know, do a deal and then I never see them again. Sure. Um, And and frankly, part of that is me because if I see that's the type of of work that it's going to be, quite frankly, I probably won't take it Hmm. um, because it's more important to me to keep my time available for people I'm working with for the long term than carving out a couple weeks of time to work on one deal who with somebody who I may may never see again. Right. With that, I'm thinking of the, you're you're talking about a long-term approach to an artist's career or a band's career. How, how have you seen in the music industry that an artist can prolong their career when they, uh, they avail themselves of your services versus trying to worry through those headaches themselves? You said in the early days that you saw and heard so many stories of people just, I can't get out of this deal. And so I know that's got to hurt and uh, cripple the creative process because they, you know, often people can't be their full creative selves if they're, they're thinking about that thing that's you know, holding them down. So have you seen that actually be able to prolong a person's career and make them more prolific or more uh, successful? I think what I've been able to bring to the table, and and I had um, one artist very recently go through this, um, has a major label deal, publishing deal, was with a manager, and that manager just wasn't working out. Um, And it, it was a very tough thing for that artist because that artist is a very loyal person, um, which I hate to say is hard to find in this business, you know, especially when success hits, um, people's priorities can change. Um, but in in this particular instance, um, you know, we not only thankfully had set up the original management deal to allow for a, a fairly easy out 
so to speak, uh, with that agreement, which then allows that artist to go get somebody else without it being detrimental to them financially. Sure. In other words, putting it simply, they don't have to pay twice. Um, and, and so I think, you know, when I'm working on any type of deal, I'm not, I don't have my blinders on saying, okay, this is a record deal. All I'm worried about is how much you're getting paid, what's your royalty, blah, blah, blah. I'm actually thinking about, okay, well, part of what I'm thinking about is what's the absolute worst case thing that could happen mm-hmm. on a, on a recording deal, the absolute worst thing that could possibly happen. I'm sure people can come up with different scenarios, but you know, what I've seen is you get one single that's put out and then you're dropped. Hmm. So, you know, I'm always thinking about what can I put in to protect my artists in the worst case scenario so that if that happens, we're not spending a year trying to unwind a deal. Um, yeah. And because every moment that an artist loses is, is a tougher, or, or let's say it's, it's another nail in the coffin. Um, and I don't want to have an artist who just had their first shot and then all of a sudden find out they're never going to have a career because they can't get out of a deal or getting out of that deal means they're never going to be able to get another deal. Gosh, yeah. Well, in, in baseball, if you hit a 300, that puts you in the Hall of Fame, right? Right. I mean, that means you've, <laughs> that means you've missed seven. Right. So if you just get one shot and that's it, that doesn't seem like a a very realistic way to go nowadays because it takes a lot more than that. It, it does. And, and you know, I've, I've, another one of my clients um, has had two major label deals, um, has had a couple very big hits. Uh, but unfortunately, in one instance, the first label closed. In the next instance, um, there was a regime change. So, you know, now they're doing everything on their own through a label services partner, which is, you know, they own their masters and the, the label services company essentially provides support. Um, again, that's kind of how the business has started to change a little bit. But, um, you know, it's, it's being able to help. I think my radio background has been able to help a lot of my artists understand, you know, what does it mean to put out a record? It's not just about being in the studio and recording a hit. Well, what do you do after that? And what does that mean? Um, does it make sense to spend $10,000 a month on an independent radio staff? And if so, is that radio staff, uh, do they have a proven record? Because um, I see so many people who spend so much money and they've got nothing to show for it. Yeah. So I think, again, just the, the, the outlook, the long-term thing, you know, I'm always looking at what's the end game and then trying to work backwards. Sure. Yeah. For for a new artist or an artist that's establishing themselves and they're they've never uh, needed the services or didn't think they needed the services thus far of an attorney, uh, where do you say for your artists or potential people that are just out there listening um, that now you need an, you need an attorney now you need to have someone in your camp looking over this kind of stuff because this is getting too deep. Um, yeah, what does that look like as far as you giving advice to someone? Like, it may not be me, but you need to find somebody that's going to take care of you. Right, and, and that's a great question, and, and honestly, that's a question I get asked a lot. Mm. Um, you know, the self-serving answer would be, you always need a lawyer. Sure. Yeah. Um, <laughs> Today. Um, the reality is, if if you are getting to the point where somebody is asking you to sign some document, 
it's probably going to be really wise for you to invest a couple hundred bucks to have somebody look over it who knows what they're doing. Sure. And, and, you know, no disrespect uh, to anybody in particular, but, you know, just having a, a family friend who happens to be a lawyer, you know, maybe they do, I'm not even going to name other areas of law to, to just so I don't offend people, but sure. um, this, it, it sounds cliche, but this business is literally changing every day. Wow, yeah. Um, and, and it's really important to find somebody who is invested in this business and knows what they're doing to look over things. Um, I, I last year had the privilege of working on The Voice, and I heard so many horror stories from the contestants. Um, you know, one in particular I'll never forget came up to us. Um, we were walking into the restaurant next to the hotel one night, and, and he kind of stopped us outside, and he's like, hey, I, I need your help. And he went on to describe the situation where he had been a, basically a street singer, and somebody had offered to invest, you know, give him money to live on and, and you know, try to get him to the next level. But they wanted half of his income forever. Wow. Good Guess grief. what? He signed some agreement with them. Mm, wow. and, and all they had to do was get him a meeting with an agent. That's wow. all they had to do. Per, per the deal? Per the deal. Yeah. And, you know, it's not that hard to get a meeting with an agent. Yeah. You know, um, and and it didn't say it had to be a William Morris or a CAA or UTA or Paradigm. Yeah, it was just an agent. Wow, <laughs> and and I mean that it made me sick because yeah. and it made me sick for two reasons. One, this kid, all he wanted to do was sing. That's all he cared about. He just wanted people to know him as a singer. Mm. But it also made me sick to know that there's people out there who would take advantage of this kid. Right. In that way. And the reality is, there are people out there who will do that. So, you know, I, I always suggest if, if you get to a point where somebody's saying, hey, we need to memorialize this agreement, I need you to sign this document, it, it's like having car insurance. You know, you hope you never need it, but when you need it, you're really thankful it's there. Yeah. Yeah. I, again, it sounds self serving, but it's so worth it to spend two, three, four hundred bucks just to make sure that something like that disastrous isn't going to happen. Because the one thing I can guarantee, I can't guarantee a lot of things as a lawyer. I can guarantee you it's going to be cheaper for you to pay a lawyer on the front end than to pay a lawyer on the back end to try to unwind it. Yeah. Yeah. I guess it's that same thing where uh, these days I hear a lot about um, eating healthy or, you know, taking care of your body because it's a lot cheaper. It may look more expensive to go to the organic aisle versus right. just buying whatever, but it's going to pay you dividends in the long run when you're having to pay for hospital bills and medication right. as you get older. I'm expecting Whole Foods at some point to put out a commercial <laughs> about that, you know, lower your insurance premiums by shopping here. Yeah, exactly. This segment's brought to you by Whole Foods. Yeah. I'm surprised that that hasn't been the case. So, so what you're kind of saying or what I'm hearing you say is artists and creatives are really, really by nature, just idealists. We Mm. see the world a certain way and we see how it should be or how we think it should be. Right. You're you're, you're always looking for the best in people. Yes, exactly. And, And you're that guy who says... Look for the worst in people. <laughs> no. As I as I often say, <laughs> I am not a pessimist. I'm a realist. There you go. Absolutely. The That's reality good. is what it is. Unfortunately. Sure. And and look, 
another thing I always tell my clients, it doesn't matter where, whether, and, and man, Seth, you've probably been in this position. Um, no deal is ever going to be perfect. Yeah. Yep. If you think you have a perfect deal, I'm sure you can find a lawyer that finds something in there that's not yeah. perfect. Right, yeah. So, you know, our job is to try to get it as close to perfect or as I like to call it, palatable, yeah. you know, get it to where, you know, I don't like to lose sleep and, and beat people up over very little things or things that are incredibly unlikely to happen. Yeah. But that said, there are some things that because I've been around this business now for 19 years, um, I've seen a lot of things happen. Sure. And so while it may seem very remote, um, you know, there are times where I've had to talk to clients to say, look, you may not think this is going to happen, but let me tell you this story. Um, just to get them to understand why I may be encouraging them to, to hold the line on, you know, X, Y, or Z. Sure. Um, it may seem very remote, but um, we see things every day that, that happen with deals. And, and as I uh, see quite frequently these days, deals change from deal to deal. I, I, I did two deals with one label um, within a few months of each other. And by the time the, the first one was done, the second one had already been changed as a direct result of certain things happening in the industry. Gosh. There's new yeah. language that was in there. Sure. Um, what are so, some of the biggest changes specifically for, for people to know? I mean, everything's you know streaming nowadays, and the, the day of the, the CD and the physical copies are going the way of the dodo. So, I mean, what are some of those changes in, in a contract? What does that look like? I think the, the most recent changes that I've seen, uh, fall in the publishing world. Um, with all of the stuff that's been going on with the, the performing rights organization, specifically ASCAP and BMI, um, and again, no listener left behind. Right. Performing rights organizations are the ones who collect royalties on behalf of the songwriters for compositions played on radio, played live, uh, on TV shows, etc. Pandora. Pandora. Yeah. Um, I'm not going to get into the weeds on this, but you can do a very quick Google search and find how many disputes there have been just in the last two years uh, between ASCAP specifically and Pandora. That's been the most recent um, change. Yeah. Um, but uh, one of, one of the, the issues from that has become the, the Department of Justice has been reviewing some laws that they put into place to restrict what BMI and ASCAP can and can't do. Hmm. Um, and as a result of that, there's been a question of can one performing rights organization license to a third party such as radio or Pandora an entire song merely based on only representing one of those writers. So let me give you an example because I know I probably just lost a lot of people. If there's a song and there's two writers on it, one writer's with ASCAP, one's with BMI, there's now been a question of can ASCAP license to Pandora 100% of that song even though ASCAP only represents one of those two writers. Uh. The issue being, or the concern being, it could be a race to the bottom of negotiating rates with that third party. 
because that PRO will want to get that license and get that income coming directly to them as opposed to only their share. And so um, just within the last five months, I've seen several publishers add very specific language in their songwriting agreements that explicitly states you will, I'm paraphrasing here, you will make certain that your co-writers know that they cannot and do not have the authority to license your share of any songs you write with them. Mm. And that's never had to be in there before. Sure. Um, But we're having to do that because of this Department of Justice review that's going on. And, you know, in theory, it's to, even though everybody knows the business has already worked that way for years, which is ASCAP, you license for your share, BMI, you license for your share. That's how it's always been done for 100 years. Um, people are saying, well, maybe we need to start actually putting it in writing. That way, if the Department of Justice comes up, we can point to something in black and white to say, even though if you ask anybody in the business, this is how it's been done, here it is in black and white. Yeah, yeah. We, we talk a lot about uh, team on this show, and kind of, the, I think the big takeaway from this is, as, as you guys are hearing out there, there's changes happening every day that affect you in ways that you don't even know. And if you're a creative, the best thing you can do is stay creative and keep creating. So you need people on your team like Jason who are helping navigate the ever-changing nature of the business. Because even since I've got into it five, six years ago, it doesn't look anything like it did. So um, having somebody like Jason on your team focusing on that, and he's he's got his nose to the ground every day on this kind of stuff. So I think that's a, a... there was a commercial for you, so <laughs> <laughs> thank you. This segment brought to you. Yeah, by. exactly. <laughs> I, I, I always like to say uh, to to all of my clients, if, if you use the if, if you're visual people, and most creative people are, you're the chair. What does a chair have? Usually, it has hopefully at least four legs. Okay, <laughs> so just go along with me on the visual here. <laughs> you know, each of those legs represents a certain team member on your team. You know, most have an agent business manager, manager, and lawyer. If you're missing one of those legs on the chair, what happens? It's going to fall over. Falls over yeah. and Unless it's an Ikea chair and has three legs. <laughs> <laughs> or five, and then you're probably paying out too much of your income. Yeah. Um, <laughs> but, you know, the point being, now more than ever, you know, 20 years ago, I don't know that I would have sat here and said this, but because the business has changed so much, um, there's so much more that goes into any artist. And, and when I say artist, I'm not just limiting that to specifically an artist. It could be producers, songwriters. Exactly. Yeah. Um, there's so much that goes into keeping that machine going that it's so important for the business manager, agent, manager, and lawyer to be in contact to know what's going on. Are we getting ready to go out on tour? Great. Okay. Hey, lawyer, do we need to have paperwork done for that? Hmm. Do you, Hey, Agent, have you gotten the uh, tour contract over to the lawyer to to check out? Hey, business manager, guess what? We probably need to make sure that we've got a general liability policy in case we have a stage collapse or a bus wreck. Which does happen. Absolutely. Very often. Um, Or if a bus breaks down. I I see artists out there, please have your lawyers look at bus contracts. (laughs) Those are some of the worst things. Yes. You know, if a bus breaks down... The majority of those agreements require that the artist pay for a substitute bus to come out to them. 
even if the breakdown has nothing to do with them. Um, you know, most artists starting out can't afford that. Um, so, you know, again, back to the chair example, it's, it's so important these days, um, to make sure your entire team is in constant communication. I mean, there, some of our bigger clients, we have weekly conference calls with the team and Hmm. there, there may be weeks where it's a 15 minute call because maybe there's not much to update on. There's weeks that may be one or two hours long because there's so much going on. I think that's an important point you just hit on, that you want your team, whoever that consists of, to be in constant communication with each other because I would venture to say a lot of the time you guys are saying, hey, you should do this, but then the accountant's like, well, that's going to affect the taxes, so you shouldn't do that, or you should do it maybe this way. Right. And then you guys can kind of work together on coming up with the best holistic solution. Exactly. And, and, you know, even even on the business management side, um, merely having... Uh, a CPA may not be good enough. You know, there, there are business managers who specifically work in the entertainment industry, just like lawyers. Um, Mm. so it's, it's really important to make sure that you have team members who are entrenched in the business. Um, again, because even I'm sure on their side, things are changing quite frequently. It seems to me that, uh, a major through line for almost every artist or singer biopic that I've ever seen has some kind of major through line about they were they were killed on some deal that they signed in some seedy back alley, you know, that <laughs> has ruined half of their career and they've spent the second half trying to just get all the, the rights back or the uh, get their dignity back. Uh, because in, instead of letting anybody look over it, they just signed it or they let their uncle look over it and that, right. that wasn't right. Um, could you quickly, and again, we don't want to keep you all day because we, we sh- I'm sure you've got a couple conference calls to do <laughs> the, the rest of the day. Uh, if you're looking at the difference between an entertainment lawyer uh, or an entertainment attorney and just your run-of-the-mill attorney that you could walk into the, your office in your hometown, what are the differences that you, that you or the person, the artist needs to look at to see if they know their stuff or not? to be willing to hire them or to u- utilize them? Wow, that great question, but it's also a hard one to answer because your your question assumes that the artist knows the questions to ask. Ah. And and the artist... Um, well, what, it, what, what are some of those questions? Yeah. When you're, if, if I'm an artist, I don't have people on my team, what do I look for in a good attorney? I, I think you, you've got to ask, what other entertainment clients do you have? You know, um, what's your track record? Uh, how long have you been working with them? Um, and, and, you know, this goes for anything in the business, it, 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 not just a lawyer, but anybody you're looking to do work with. It could be you're interviewing a manager. Hey, manager, who, who are you working with? Have you, and asking yourself when that person answers the question, have you actually heard of any of those artists that that manager is managing? Sure. If not, do you really want to be on that roster of other artists who you've never heard of? If your goal is to break through, um, you know, on the legal side, um, it, it, I think it's pretty, any lawyer should be honest with potential clients. Hmm. You know, um, they're either going to say, well, I primarily do general civil litigation or I primarily do family and, and divorce work, but, you know, I do a little bit of entertainment on the side. I'm not saying you shouldn't go with them. They may be the right person, but I think it's important to, to ask them, okay, you know, what are some recent deals you've worked on? You know, to, to try to really dig out of that person, how involved are they 
in the business? How recent have they actually been working on something? Because somebody who hasn't done a record deal in five years uh, most likely is not going to be in tune with what's been happening over the last six months. And that could have a, a huge impact on not just the negotiation of the deal, but the language that's in it that's going to protect you that you need. Wow. Especially these days when you say that the, the, the laws and the rules and the way that the industry looks changes on a daily or weekly basis. Right, right. Oh, that's insane. Let's yeah. flip that question on its head. Let's say we're talking to somebody out there who might be wanting to actually get into what you're doing on, on, on the behind the scenes, whatever you want to call it. So if somebody's a new attorney fresh out of law school, how do you get your first client if you don't have a track record? Mm. Again, a great question, and I'm probably going to point every single one of my students to this uh, podcast because I have to answer this question, I feel like, 20 times every semester I teach. Uh, so this is great. It, it's, I'm not going to lie. It's very, very difficult for a new attorney to get right into the entertainment world. It's, it's, it's such a competitive world, um, and just speaking frankly, unlike most other areas of, of law, um, there's not a lot of entertainment attorneys who have the time in the day to actually train up somebody. So what I usually tell my students, and, and I teach um, uh, entertainment law at Stetson down in Tampa where I went to law school every year, mm -hmm. um, what I'm always telling my students is, First of all, when you're in law school, get as much exposure to intellectual property uh, classes as you can. So copyright, trademark, patent is a completely different ball of wax. But uh, you know, copyright, trademark, um, maybe a little bit of bankruptcy. Um, you know, going back to one of the things I said before, being an entertainment attorney is not just about negotiating record deals or publishing deals. It's about knowing, not even knowing being aware of other areas of law that just to know, hey, um, maybe I need to pull in a bankruptcy lawyer because to your uh, point earlier of disaster deals, you know, a lot of artists make a lot of money, but they don't know how to manage their money. So they end up needing to file bankruptcy. Yeah. I've seen that happen many, many mm -hmm. times. Um, it's being aware of some of those other issues. So, you know, get exposed to as many different areas as you can. Even with all of my experience before I went to law school, I didn't have a job in the entertainment industry right after law school. Mm. Um, so what I did was I tried to find a job at a firm that would help me uh, get as much experience as I could with negotiating, um, you know, uh, doing depositions, uh, you know, really being involved in those things. So it could be a stepping stone. So when I got to the point where I eventually got, I was ready to jump in. Sure. At the same time, I also, and this is a very important part, go to industry events, get known, meet people. That's how you're going to get your first client. Mm -hmm. You're going to get your first client because you were talking to somebody who happened to be, you know, have some need in the business and they like you. Yeah. I mean, I don't, I don't know of too many people, although I'm sure it's out there, who hire a lawyer because they couldn't stand them. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> that, that, that may happen in you know, certain areas of law. Not, because in, you, not in Nashville. Right. <laughs> um, but you know, it's, it's establishing relationships. Our business is a very relationship-driven community. Um, 
not just in Nashville. It's it's just it's a very small industry, and you are gonna bump into the same people time and time again. Yeah. Um, but that in mind, as a young attorney, be aware that you may need to have a mentor. You know, so to the extent you can find somebody who's been doing this for a while, at least get a relationship going. So if you do get that first client, you've got somebody you can bounce things off of to say, mm-hmm. hey, I got this client, we're doing this deal, but I got to be honest, I don't know exactly what I'm looking for. Can you help me out with it? Yeah, I think I think that's gold right there. I mean, we it's funny how this show always kind of goes back to that same theme of education. And education is not just going to college or getting a degree or whatever, reading books. It's having a mentor. And that applies to anything, whether you're an artist or producer or uh, aspiring attorney. Having a ment- Finding the right mentor can collapse time frames by years yeah just meeting the right people i i worked really hard while i was in law school to maintain all of the relationships i had developed when i was in nashville such that when i moved back to town i hit the ground running to basically take anybody and everybody i could to lunch to say hey i'm back sure if you know of anybody who needs anything please keep me in mind you know i didn't want to be out of sight out of mind and uh Fortunately for me, you know, very quickly, I started getting those calls. And again, with this business being so relationship driven, I can tell you, if you do a bang up job for one client, you're probably going to find out that that client is telling all of his or her friends. And eventually you're getting more and more calls because, hey, so-and-so said you just helped them with this. Uh, I've got this going on. Can you help me out? Sure. Word spreads fast. Yeah. In, in both good and bad ways. Yeah, <laughs> that's what I was just thinking. I mean, you're, you're constantly probably watching out for your next job and what your current job is just right. because, you know, yeah, I mean, Nashville's a small town. The music business is a small business. It's everybody knows everybody. So if you do a bad job for somebody, everybody's going to know it right. by the next day. And, and you know, I'm, I'm not married. That's not a pitch uh, for myself. But I'm, I'm, <laughs> Hear that, ladies? I'm, I'm told that... Uh, Rich, what, <laughs> good-looking entertainment attorney. I, I'm told that... Uh, thank you. 37, looks like 17. I, th- I thought you were talking about other people there for a minute. <laughs> um, you know, I'm told that uh, a piece of advice that parents usually give their newlywed kids is, you know, never go to bed angry, mm. you know, mm. with your mate. And uh, one of the things that I try to uphold in my everyday practice is to always make sure my clients are happy. And, and if there's some sort of problem going on, I want to nip it because I don't want them thinking about it because it goes back to one of the very first things I said. I don't want them, I don't want to be one of the problems yeah. that's preventing them from writing or singing or touring. Mm-hmm. That's the last thing I want. So, you know, it's, it's, it's the communication with your client is just as important as it is with the entire team. Yeah. Well, that's good. Gosh. I uh, quickly here wrapping up one last thing and digging in, just kind of asking the same question that we've asked the last two times, but from a little different perspective. As an artist, if you're realizing you're getting to the point where you need to uh, have the services of an attorney, I'm assuming everybody can't call up Jason Turner and say, represent <laughs> me. Uh, so uh, what are, uh, if, if they're moving to Nashville or New York or Chicago or Los Angeles and they, they want to find someone reputable, uh, what's the first thing that they should do? Uh, should they reach out to your law firm and uh, or, or are you guys going to even entertain someone at a certain level versus No another? pun intended. <laughs> <laughs> 
Um, I, I never like to say no as a blanket statement. Mm-hmm. Um, so, you know, of course, people are welcome to call our firm. We have uh, multiple lawyers there. If, if you're in the ge- geography is not as important as what it used to be. You know, we, we are working on deals worldwide. Most people, especially beyond a certain age, are able to correspond and do work through email. So it doesn't matter if you're in London and your lawyer's in Nashville or if you're in New York and your lawyer's in California. It, it just doesn't matter these days. Um, my recommendation always is if you're starting out or let's say you got that first offer, um, if you don't have that mentor or manager or other people in your life yet, you know, ask the label. The label is not going to give you names of people that they don't like working with. Um, and you know, it, it's not to say that if they give you a name that that person's not going to represent your interest just because the label gave you their name. Sure. Um, that's the first good start. The other good start is do a simple Google search. You know, if you're in Chicago. If, you, if it's really important that your lawyer be in Chicago, type in Chicago Entertainment Lawyer and see what pops up. Mm-hmm. Um, or there, there are uh, certain websites like Super Lawyers. I know it sounds like a, a comic strip. Um, <laughs> Maybe it should be. Yeah. Well, unfortunately, they don't provide capes to us. But um, <laughs> you know, Su- Super Lawyers is an organization that, that um, essentially does some pretty intensive reviews of every area of practice. So if you need a great real estate lawyer, um, you know, you can search by area of practice and geography and, and that'll pull up, you know, people that they have vetted. Um, so there, there's all kinds of lawyer review services out there that, you know, the vast majority are credible, yeah. uh, that can help at least guide you to some people. Wow. That's great. Thank you so much, Jason. This has been a pleasure and eye opening for me. There's so much that, uh, it, it's scary about the music industry when it comes to, uh, signing on the dotted line. So to have someone in your corner like you, it uh, would be invaluable. Uh, thanks so much for your time today. Thank you. Appreciate it. Hey, we hope you've enjoyed this episode and will join us again soon on the Full Circle Music Show, the why of the music is. Check us out at fullcirclemusic.org slash podcasts.